You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MZBC Students. Believe, like, and I'm committed to take care of, you know, my people, right? Like my, my family, my friends, and that's kind of the way a lot of us live. Like we're going to handle ourselves first and we're going to take care of, you know, your family and the people that are close to you, the people that you love. You're going to take care of them. Like you'd do anything for those people. You might have even said that. Like I would do anything for you. Even if it was your fourth grade girlfriend. Like you said, like I would do anything. Like you, did, and you think you, you, you say that and it's easy to say that. But that's not all we're called to do as believers. We're not just called to take care of those who love us. We're called to love, um, love all. We're called to love all the way that Christ loves all. You know that, uh, you know that 21 Pilot song, Ride? You know that song? There's that like little rap portion back there. Like, have, you ever, have you ever like tried to like pay attention to what, what he says during that part? What he says is this. He says, he says I, I die for you. That's easy to say. It's easy to say that you would die for somebody. He's like, ah, that's just, that, I mean, it's, it's words, it's, it's talk. He says, we got a list of people that we would take, a bullet for them, a bullet for you, a bullet for everybody in the room. I only see me bullets coming through. He says, metaphorically, I'm the man, but literally, I don't, I don't know what I would do. And he said, but he says, this, this, I'd, I'd live for you? And that's hard to do. And it's even harder to say when you know it's not true. We can say things like this. We can say these kind of emotive, kind of empty words. Like, man, I'd be willing to die for you. I'd die for my friends. I'd die for my family. You don't know. Are you willing to live for them? And not just them. Are you willing to live for those who don't love you, who aren't your people, who aren't close to you? Are you willing to live for them instead of you? Because Christ lived for you and died for you instead of himself. Are you willing to live for them like Christ lived and died for you. See, Christians in the room, like I'm, this message is going to be mainly for you. If you're a Christian in the room, I'm going to be pushing you on some things tonight because this passage has been pushing me on some things. So if you're a Christian, this should challenge you a little bit. This should point out some, some flaws and some holes in the way that we're living. If you're not a Christian, what you're going to hear is the way that we, um, we are as- aspiring imperfectly to live. Like we're not, we're not getting it right. We know that um, and you know that too. And, but we're under no misconception that we're perfect at this. But we're trying, which is different than everyone else you know who is not. So we're going to, Christians, we're going to challenge ourselves off this passage. And if you're not a Christian, what you're going to hear is our heartbeat, the way that we're called, and the way that we're striving to live for you. All right? So, so we're going to start in 1 John chapter 3, verse, verse 16. Um, focusing on, on what, our, what our model is. The passage starts like this. It says, by this we know love. Like this is how we know what love is. That he, Jesus, that this, he, he laid down his life for us. This is how we know love. That he laid down his life for us. So if you're a Christian, like you're, you're clear, like you know the story, like you've trusted your life to the way that Jesus loved you. Like he, he lived the life that you couldn't live and he died the death you should have died all for you, all because he loved you. The reason Jesus got on that cross was because he loved you and me and everybody else that much. This is our picture of us. Like this is, this is how we, this is what we know love to be. That Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, like the very son of God, the one that we had sinned against, 
Didn't count our trespasses against us, but instead literally gave up his life because he loved us that much. That's our definition of love. Laying down your life for somebody else, even when they've wronged you, even when they've turned their back on you, even when they are not worth loving, still laying your life down for them. That's our definition of love. So this is how we know love. And that song we sing sometimes, like, this is real love. It's like this big party up song. Man, like, I just, I, I can't help but do my white boy dance when I, like, we, we sing that song. I mean, I, I can't. Like, I, get, I get that bounce thing going because I, I love that song. I'm like, this is real love. And, and we're, like, it's reminding us that this picture of this self-sacrificing king is, is, is our definition. Like, we've come to see a love that is not like the world's love. It's not like your mama's love. It's not like your fourth grade boyfriend's love. Like, it's not like the normal love. We've come to find this love where we did everything we could against him, against God. Like, we lived our own way. We chose sin over him over and over again. And he still lived the, de- the life. I couldn't live and died the death. I should have died. That was my place. That's this new, higher definition of love. So when we sing, this is real love, We've come to find a love that is real, that, 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 casts, a, that, like, that casts this shadow of every, anything else that we would quantify as love. This is our new definition. See, Christians, we're those who have come to believe that Jesus loves us. If you're a Christian, essentially what that means is that you've come to believe and trust your eternity to the fact that Jesus loves you, that God so loved the world that he gave up his only son. And if you believe in him, you'll have everlasting life. Like, we've come to believe that. So Christians are those who have found this love to be true, believe that this is the pattern, and they've trusted their eternity to it. So there's something logical that seems like it should follow. If Christians are those who have found this kind of definition of love in Jesus, if Christians have that, then logically it seems like we should copy it. If we've been loved like that... and we should love like that. That's how the passage continues, right? At 16, the other half, it says, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That just means people, general, okay? So like, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and so then we ought to lay down our lives for others. Ought to. In the South, we don't say ought to, right? We say oughta, right? We just kind of make that a word. It's not a word. Oughta. When somebody says you ought to do something, you, you know what that means. Like there's some sort of moral imperative there, and maybe, it's, maybe you don't use the word moral imperative in your head, but like it's something you just know you should do, right? Like, man, I'm, I ought to whoop your behind, okay? Like, there's something, like there is something deserving. There is a logical end to this. You have done a thing, and I ought to do something in response to the thing that you've done. Or somebody says like, you know what you ought to do? Like, there's, there's a rightness behind that. They're saying this is, there's something right that you ought to do. It should make sense. It's a logical conclusion. It just makes sense for you to do this thing. That's what oughta is. When I oughta whoop your behind, that means it would make sense for me to do so. If I tell you ought to go do something, it, I'm saying it makes sense for you to do this. When it says, so we oughta lay down our lives for, for the brothers, that means like we, there's a logical consistency to this. If we have had this model in Jesus, if we know love, that he laid down his life, then, then we, we ought to lay down our lives for other people. See, to John, the, the guy who's writing us, what John is saying is that if you're a Christian, it only makes sense for you to love people like Jesus loves people. It only makes sense for you to love people the way Jesus loves people, not the way that the world loves people. 
the way the world loves people doesn't get to make that that's not good enough anymore. Like Jesus raised the bar so high that we should not love the way the world loves. Now we oughta love the way He loved us. But think like think about this phrase though, like ought to lay down our lives. Is that metaphorical? Is that just a metaphor? Is that just you know some kind of like turn of a phrase? And you know, he's trying to like overemphasize so at least you'll be nice. Is that what's happening? No. Because Jesus literally laid down his life. And so when it says that he's our definition for love, like he's, he's the standard, so then we ought to aspire to that same standard. When it says ought to lay down our lives, like what, what is the, what's an acceptable extent to that? How self-sacrificing does this really have to get? How, like, like, honestly, think about this. Like how, how self-sacrificing should Christians be? How many, how many times should we forgive? How long should we keep trying? How long should we keep investing in somebody? How, how much should we give of ourselves or of our money? Like how, how much should we give? To what extent are we called to lay down our lives? Well, the first half of 16 says that Jesus is a standard, then we just get to ask ourselves, well, what did Jesus do? How self-sacrificing was, was Jesus? How forgiving was he towards me? How forgiving was he towards you? How long did he keep trying with you? Some of you in the room, he's still trying with you. You've been running hard away from him, and he's still pursuing you. That's, that's why you're here. He hadn't given up on you. So Christians, how, how, long do we not, how long do we wait to give up on somebody? How, how much did he give? So how much do we give? It just makes sense, right? Like if, if we've found this, this love in this Jesus, and we've trusted our eternity to it, then, then it is, we ought to. Like, the, like there, it just makes sense for us to start trying to copy that and aspire to that and, and trying to be consistently laying down our lives in a, in a bigger and grander way because Christ laid down his life for us. And we're not going to get it right. Perfect, we're not, but we're going to grow in it. That's the goal. Like we're going to be pushing forward to be, to be more and more and more like Christ, more loving like Christ. John goes on, he, he explains it with kind of a, an opposite example. You know, sometimes it, it helps to try to explain something with the, with the inverse of it. So in 17, what he says is this. He says, like, think about this. If, if, anybody, if anybody has the world's goods, all right, so that's like money, possessions, whatever. Like, if anybody has the world's goods, and then they, they see his, his brother in need, but, but closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Like, he's, he's like, wait, how do, if you've met Jesus, who's, who's washed away every imperfection in you, if, if you've met Jesus, who's forgiving every trespass, every failure, every sin, he's overlooked, like, even though you're sinning against him. If he, if he laid down his life to rescue you from the wrath that you earned for yourself, if he pursued someone like you, if he gave up his life for someone like you, like, if, if, if you've trusted that and God's love abides in like, then how in the world would somebody do this? That's the question, right? Like if somebody's met him, if, if, if God's love abides in a person, how in the world would, would we, would we have, you know, have goods, have stuff or whatever, and see somebody in need and then just close our heart against them? Like, nah. Nope. 
I'm going to receive all this love, all this forgiveness, all this grace, all this mercy from God, and then I'm just going to close my heart against her. <laughs> How's that? Uh, does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. But like, it's, it's an example we, we all can relate to because when, when we find ourselves in this situation, when someone is asking us for stuff, particularly our money, that's, that's hard for us. So Jesus is trying to hit us where it hurts. Like all of us understand it's hard to give away our money for stuff, okay? Now I understand you don't have any money, like at all, okay? You've got like 20 bucks and you feel like you're rich, okay? And then you go to Monaco and it's $21 and you're like, nope, still not rich, okay? <laughs> you, I know, I get it. I mean, you're, you're like working away at Chick-fil-A and, you know, you feel like you've like struck gold or something, but and you, you just, I mean, I get it. I mean, been a teacher. I was a lifeguard forever. Lifeguards, I think, like, work for free. I don't know. But so, so you're, you're not there, but, but there's a certain, it's almost worse with money when you have more of it. Like, you, like, like I have a, like a mortgage and like kids have to feed and junk. Like they have to eat food. It's like a legal requirement for me to feed them. And so when, when Jesus comes after like my money, that, that stings a little bit. There was a day where uh, Jessica and I were, um, we went on a little date. When Jessica and I go on little dates, we have to go to like places like grocery stores because we don't have any money. Anyway, so um, we're at this grocery. We, we went to Earth Fair. You ever been to Earth Fair? Like everything in there is made out of cardboard. Like the food in, in the cardboard is made out of cardboard as well. Um, <laughs> we like to go over there because there's like weird, weird chips and things, and we'll, we'll, you know, peruse for a moment. And then uh, we'll always we'll buy like some sort of weird, we buy that bark, that chocolate, it's called like chocolate bark. Doesn't sound very good, does it? But anyway, we go over there and we're kind of, we're, we're adults, so we, we, we go to grocery, grocery store dates. So we're there, we're leaving. We normally spend like six bucks at Earth Fair because like a cookie is four dollars there, all right? And so we don't, we don't buy groceries at Earth Fair. We buy groceries like Normal people, okay? So we're, we're at Earth Fair where I don't know who gets to buy groceries there. And we, we walk out the door, and um, there's, there's a lady there who's got a, a sign, and she doesn't speak very good English. And, but basically, she's, she's trying to communicate with us that, that she's got a few kids, and they just don't have enough to eat at night. And we're, our date's about to end, and we're, we're about to go home. It's, you know, pushing like 9 o'clock at night, and she's like trying to explain to us that she, they don't have enough food for the night. And she's trying to ask, like, hey, can you get, can you get us a little bit to eat? That was one of those moments, you know, where like somebody's standing there in front of you and you just got to figure out what you're going to do about it. And like, I'm at Earth Fair and a cookie's $4 and this is not going to go well, okay? Like, if it, but there's, there's one of these moments where I felt, I, I, we just kind of felt like God was saying like, hey, this isn't a situation you get to walk away from. Are you going to, if somebody has the world's goods and then sees a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And we're like, oh, goodness. Like, yeah, let's, let's go get a little bit of groceries. And so we're, we're kind of walking around, and we didn't, like, stay, stay with her because that's weird. Um, and so kind of makes it around to the checkout thing, and, and uh, she's pushing this, like, monster cart of groceries full of all the $4 cookies, okay? Like, all, you know, and it's just, like, all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, and, like, like, like items are going across this little conveyor belt. There was this sausage. It was about this big. It was $14. Like, that big. Like, that's like six bites of sausage. I don't know what the per bite ratio was, but it was enough that like, I'm a dad and my, my wallet is like screaming. Like, like I'm, I'm like, 
no. <laughs> okay, you know, like, that's, that's, like there is no joy in the giving. At the, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is not a story to Pat Britton on the back. This was horrible, okay? And, and like the, the, the checkout lady is like looking at me and like this is a weird situation and all the things go across the belt and it's like $280, wipe. <laughs> that went on the credit card. Um, I get outside and, and, you know, I'm like literally sweating. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, she's just like in tears, thankful, and Jessica's being super sweet, and I'm freaking out. And, um, and then she, she gets out there, and, and basically she gets to communicate with Jessica, and she and Jessica are talking, and, you know, mom to mom. And um, she basically says, like, we don't, we don't have we don't have enough money to pay for the, we're staying in the hotel, we don't have enough money to stay in the hotel, and we're like, oh, Lord, okay, fine, and so we go to this hotel, it was this, like, sketchy part of town, this hotel, and we're, like, paying for this mom, um, who we're not really sure actually has kids, and if she's scamming us or not, and we pay for this hotel room, and then, like, six kids pile out of this van, and everybody's, like, hugging everybody, and I just feel like a terrible person the whole time, because I'm just concerned that I just spent $400 on strangers, and, like, you know, like, it, there's this, there's these moments where, like, am I, what are you going to do? I wanted to just like shut off my heart and be like, nah, nah, I'm good. And you've probably heard Christians talk like that about people who are, who are just poor, who had like just legit need. They're like, man, they should get a job. That's not my problem. I worked hard for my money. They can work hard for theirs. Do you hear the stuff that we say sometimes? Yeah, giving people stuff is not always the right thing to do. It's absolutely not. Sometimes you shouldn't. But sometimes you should. And so Jesus comes after our wallets as an example. It's not, the, it's not the totality of the issue. It's not just about your money. It's about your life. The point here is, is are we willing to be people with open hearts and open hands towards others the way Jesus was with us? I mean, when, people, when, when, when I hear my heart or someone's actual words say things like, they're not my problem. I'm just so thankful that Jesus considered me to be his problem. Aren't you? Like in your spiritual poverty, aren't you so glad that Jesus stepped up to step in? Like he, he engaged you where you were in the midst of your deepest need. He didn't say, you earned it. You lived like this. You made the choices. It's your bed lay in it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that to you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm consistently, daily overwhelmed that he didn't say that to me. And so I don't get to say that to somebody else. So if you think about this, like, like the, the whole world, the whole world understands this, man. Like the whole world understands that Christians are supposed to be open-handed, open-hearted people. And I think, I think the, like the way you can tell that the world understands we're supposed to love people well is, is when the world gets so angry with Christians for being closed-hearted, of having closed hands and closed hearts with people, when, when modern culture consistently calls us out for being unloving. You hear that sometimes, right? Like the world talking about how Christians are, are a bunch of fakers because they're not really actually loving. Really, they can't stand people. Because on the inside, a lot of us can't stand some people, right? And so they, they pick up on that, and they, they, they're hearing, like, okay, you say that you know this Jesus, and you say that this Jesus is full of love, and that God is love, and that you're found in God, but somehow you don't feel like love. And sometimes they're right, aren't they? Sometimes we don't get it right. 
Often we don't. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of times Christians just aren't open-handed, open-hearted people. We all struggle with it. It's hard. Like, like think, think about verse 17. Like, what do you have? I know you got 20 bucks, all right? But like, what else, what else do you have? First, if you're a Christian, you have this eternal hope in Jesus. Are you being open-handed with that? Are you sharing that? I talk about wealth, man. Like you have this, this wealth of eternal hope because of Christ. Are you being open with that or are you withholding that from people because you're scared of them? The greatest gift you've been given is your salvation, Christians. Are you, being, are you withholding that hope from people? You have an education. You have influence. Are you figuring out ways to leverage that on behalf of other people? Or are you just figuring out how to get the highest paying job so that you can have a five-bedroom house? Are you loving you with your education? Or are you loving others with it? Is your social media influence for you and your pride? Or is it for the good of the world? Now, listen, you're, you're eventually going to have more money than you do now, okay? And you're, you're going to have more money than 98% of the people on the planet. Like, if you're just a normal American, you're just making just not even a good job. Like, as a normal, like, normal run-of-the-mill American, you're going to have more money than 98% of the people on the planet. What are you going to do with it? What's your, who's your bank account for? Is it going to be for you? Or are you going to make a difference with it? you got to kind of commit to it now because like, you're, you're setting the course of your life here. So if, if, if you've been found in Jesus and he's the model for the way that you're supposed to love the world, then you got to decide, like, who's your bank account for? I struggle with that. None of this is easy. Laying your life down is not easy. Jesus is like sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane about it. Okay? Like, it's not an easy thing to do. That's what we're called to do. So we push. See, the, the crazy truth is, the crazy thing about like the world calling us out when we're being unloving is that Christians, we are most unloving when we look most like the world. We are most unloving when we look like the rest of the world, when we take care of ourselves, when we pursue our own interests, when we fight for our own good, and we belittle anybody who stands in our way. When we look like the rest of the world, we're being the most unloving. Listen, that, that's, how, that's how the world acts. That's not how we're called to. But sometimes, sometimes the world is wrong, and I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to miss this, all right? Sometimes the world is wrong when they call you unloving. Now, if, if you actually are being unloving, and you're, like, belittling people, like, you're, you're stepping on other people, you're taking care of your own interests above other people, yeah, they're right. But sometimes the world's going to call you unloving. Um, they're going to accuse you of being unloving for refusing to compromise on some things. They're going to say, like, your refusal to compromise on sin, your refusal to compromise on the Word of God is unloving, and when they do that, when somebody accuses you of being unloving because of your refusal to compromise on sin, they are wrong. Ignore them. All right? The rest of the time, you need to probably take some stock of it. But, but when that happens, when it's saying, you're not compromising on sin, you're not saying my behavior is okay, so you're unloving. You're not approving of my sin, so you're unloving. That is, that is not true. That's not true. If you take a biblical stand on sexuality in your modern culture, you're going to be called unloving. That's not true. If you take a biblical stand on abortion, like, you're going to be called unloving, and that's not true. Compromising on sin, compromising on the word of God is not loving people. It's lying to people. 
And lying to people is never loving. Jesus didn't do this. Like, if, he, if Jesus is the model for what love looks like, Jesus didn't run around and tell everybody, hey, your sin's okay, it's not a big deal. You can just ignore that part of Scripture. It's cool. You ever see Jesus doing that? No. Jesus came to seek and save sinners, to draw them out of their sin, not lie and say they had nothing to worry about, not give them false hope for eternity. If somebody accuses you of being unloving for compromising on the word of God, ignore it. If somebody accuses you for being unloving for being unloving, do something about it. So we're going to be people who live open-handed, open-hearted, but we're not going to compromise on the word. Verse 18, it just drives it home. It drives it home. Verse 18, it says, little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Students, what I want us to be as individual Christians, as a, as a student ministry, as a, as a church, as the church, what I, what I want to see us be is people who aren't just talking about it, but are literally doing it. You want to say, man, I, I, we love everybody. We love the whole world. We, anyway, we love you. No, I don't, I don't want to say that. I want to do that. So practically, like, how can you do that? How can we do that? How can we love our community well? How can you love your high school well? How can you love your soccer team well? How can you love your parents well? How can you love those people at your school who can't stand you well? How can you lay your life down? Christians, we got to love the world like Jesus loves people. Open-hearted, open-handed. It's weird. Man, we're, we're good at loving those who love us. I'm not worried about them. I know you're good to your family for the most part. I know most of you are good to your friends. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about the people that we ignore. I'm worried about the people that you can't stand, the people that can't stand you, the people that are hard to love. I'm worried about them. How do they see you? How do they see us? What would it take for you to love those who don't know or love you? What would it take? Like, practically, think about it. What would it take for you to love those who you don't know or they don't know you they're not close to you. They don't love you. Like, what would it take for you to love them? The people at your school, the people on your team that you're not tight with, like, what would it take for you to love them? How would you practically do that? Are you willing to be a little bit uncomfortable? Are you willing to press past the awkward a little bit? Are you willing to, to allow someone the opportunity to be rude to you, reject you? Are you willing to give up the cash in your wallet, all $20 of it? Are you willing to be rejected and scorned and cast out and reviled for trying? You'd be in good company, right? Because Jesus was rejected and scorned, reviled, beaten, mocked, scorned, tortured, and murdered for me. Laying our lives down is not easy. It's not safe. It's not comfortable. But it's who we're called to be. What does it look like for you to love people like Jesus loves people? Let me pray for you. Father, um, this one's hard for me. It's hard for all of us, God. It's, it's, Jesus is a high standard, um, and we're not going to hit it perfect. But for the Christians in the room, Father, I pray that you would give us insight, that you would challenge us to take steps forward, to be more and more loving, to love people more like Jesus loves people, even when it's hard. We're going to trust you with it. It's in your sons, let me pray. Amen.